0: pleasure to be with you this evening and uh, it's always a special time when the two congregations can get together enjoy psalm sing we don't have the food tonight um and so but when we, this was planned and everything they were like uh, you know kelly we do have a psalm sing and we do have some uh, food to enjoy we do like to get together so <coughs> it doesn't have to be that long <coughs> uh so i said well that's that's fine you know um, what is there a time you'd like me to keep it to? And we started bidding, you know, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 15, 18, 18, 18 minutes. And then they probably saw First Samuel 17, 50 verses. Oh, we're going to be here till midnight. We won't be that long. But, uh, and, and uh, in all honesty, uh, originally, when uh, I was thinking about this evening, this was not the passage I had in mind. Uh, but lately, I've just been drawn to it. Um, of course, it's one of the most known passages and chapters in all of Scripture, but I just think it has something very relevant for us today. Uh, this, this morning, Pastor Friedley's. Sermon out of uh, Acts chapter 15. Uh, You know, we talk about the first council, but the, the emphasis was on the guarding of the gospel. And it takes courage to guard the gospel because the gospel is not out there for popularity. It's not out there to be your flavor of the day. Many people also, we realize, about a little over 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his theses to the door, and we talk about Reformation Day. There was a time in history in which the gospel needed to be guarded. My friends, I believe we live in such a day. The gospel needs to be guarded. Now, I wasn't trying to be humorous, but who are the guardians of the gospel? It's you and it's me. Are we doing the job that Christ has called us to do? So I hope as we look through this chapter that we will all be a little bit challenged as to how we are guarding the gospel. While appreciated by children, this is certainly not just a children's story. I know many times we read the passage, and then come back. We're going to go through it and read it as we go along. I love somewhat even just the the style of this chapter and the way it is written. Um, it, I, now and then I have I'm kind of eclectic in some of the things I read and listen to, and um, so recently I, I was uh, reading a, a bit of classical literature, and uh, so. And, and when you read somebody who's just a really good author, I, I went back to the first time I read Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, and he just sucked me in. And, and so you just get into the story when a book, and, and when a story is just really well written. And when I come to this chapter, uh, this is just a really well written chapter. Uh, it's, it's, but, but we have not only just a great piece of literature in front of us, we have the inspired word of God who can apply it to our hearts and minds. So if you would, turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we will work our way through this chapter. And, and to me, it kind of reads a lot like a A play. And you have a play, and, and, and it comes in, like, different scenes. And that's what you're going to see when it comes to the now. And, and so he's going to set the plot for us, and then he's going to develop the characters through it, and it's going to kind of crescendo up to the climax, which... Okay, we've read it before. We kind of know what that is. That's going to... Just hold tight. We'll get there. I don't want to get a hold of myself. But the first now. Now... What does it say there in um, verse 1? Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sokoh, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokoh and Azekah in Ephes-Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze in his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. And let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight Together, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So the stage is set. We have the two armies. And out of this one army comes a champion, Goliath. And we have this whole list of things as far as dealing with the, the equipment he has, uh, The armor that he has, the weapons that he has, and it's really trying to do one thing for us, the listeners. You better be impressed. This is one bad man. This is one guy you do not want to mess with. I mean, He's over nine feet tall and he's got these weapons and he is the picture of intimidation and he is the picture of casting fear into his opponent's. And that's really where the bulk of this part, you might say, the first scene, spends its time. Just building up how impressive a character this Goliath is. It mentions the Israelite army. It mentions Saul. But it's really in a very weak way. The, first, the, the, the last verse there, verse 11, kind of sums it up as far as how, how the plot has been set. Here are these enemies going against each other. But when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Scene two, we have the great, powerful Goliath. Verse 12, now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of these three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, Firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them so contrasted with goliath was david young just a boy the youngest of eight there's almost more time being said about who his brothers were than about him and so what does Uh, Does David get, I mean, there's no list of armor. There's no list of his accomplishments. There's no list, because he's not old enough to have had any. There's a list of, yeah, I need you to do these errands for me, son. I need you to take some cheese. I need you to take some bread. I need you to go get some information for me. He's a shepherd, and he's an errand boy. That's the picture that we're given of David. David. Not impressive, not important. So we have scene one, Goliath. Scene two, David. The contrast between the two of them. And now, third, we see in verse 19 now, Saul. And they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks. And went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So it will be done to the man who kills him. So now we have these characters who have been set up for us now interacting. And we have again uh, Goliath. And who is the one who should be at the, at the front for Israel, their king, Saul, he is the leader. But rather than leading, he is the one who is read earlier, was afraid. And, and instead of giving courage to his troops, is in essence trying to bribe them. And I think there's this part that we see in here, really, of David reading through that. David is, is a little bit insulted. This, this, this person is defying Israel. This guy is speaking what against our God? And we're having to be offered riches and the king's daughter to be willing to go against him? This was not the way David saw things as, as, as far as intimidated by what he was. And we shouldn't be surprised if we were to go back a chapter earlier when Samuel was anointing David as the future king. What is it that the Lord said to Samuel when Samuel was about to anoint the older brother? Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Here you had the whole army of Israel. You had the king of Israel. Looking at the outward appearance. And losing hope. David does not see the stature of Goliath. But he hears the affront to his God. And so you start to see it building up now. We have Goliath. We have David. We have the stalemate going on with the weakness of King Saul. And it seems like we're about ready for the conflict and and for the fight to begin. But wait, something else enters into the scene here. In verse 28. Now Eliab. His eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. And then Saul clothed David with his armor, put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took off his staff, and then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. I think it's kind of an interesting thing that we have established here. And again, it's more than just um, underdog against such a mighty foe. That we have thrown in here all of a sudden this discourse with Eliab. And I think this is his brother, his older brother, who perhaps is even a little bit ashamed because he's one of those men who David's saying, we, ha- we have to be bribed in order to defend the honor of the Lord. And so maybe he's a little bit angry for, for several reasons. But he throws out some wrong, he, he accuses David of wrong motives. Let's go figure. Somebody finally shows up with courage and he gets criticized from within. Let that sink in. And then the king said, and, and, and David, I think you have to understand culturally, David knew what was going on when he was spreading these things. He knew word would get back to the king. The king brings him in. And the king was like, well, I don't think he has much chance, but here, why don't I let you have try on some of my armor and stuff like that. So, so even though he's doing that, Boy, that's a real source of encouragement, isn't it? So you have the older brother, critic-in-chief, and you have your king, doubter-in-chief. And the critic and the doubters are coming from Israel's side, not the Philistines'. So now we're out of nows, and we come to the then, and we know what's coming up now. Now we get the conflict. And the Philistine moved forward and came near David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehand. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. All right, kids, who won the fight, David or Goliath? Trick question. The Lord did. The Lord won the battle. It was in his hands. I know, I've heard the stories too. Oh, but yes, David was, was probably very skilled with, uh, with these stones and everything. Yeah, I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was an expert marksman with, with uh, that slingshot. He did grab five though, you know. He didn't, he didn't just grab one. Who directed that stone into the forehead of that giant? God uses us as his instruments The Lord is the one who wins the battle. And I didn't read it yet. Verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. There's no way, humanly speaking, David... Should have ever won. But he had a zeal for the honor of God's name. And he was not going to stand by and see it defiled. There was a fight, and there is a fight today but I'm suggesting to you that it's the fight of faith, my brothers and sisters. And it's waging all around us. Much has been written in recent years about the complacency of the church here in the United States. I share this concern. I share it for myself. There's some good books on this that I could recommend to you. But the main point that we need not to do is just say, oh, well, let's hope we don't become complacent. Let's flip that coin over. We need to regain our zeal for the name of the Lord. We need to understand what king we serve. And that this king's name will not be defiled in my presence. I'm just a human being. I fail. I fall short. But how dare I not defend the name of the one who has purchased me with his own blood? What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. No excuses, my friends. Not for our age, not for our abilities, not for our level of education. 1 Samuel 17 is a call to arms. From general to private, to have a zeal, to defend the honor of our Lord, who has already won the victory for us. We like to talk about King Jesus. He is. Then let's be his faithful servants. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this example of David and even by his own words was not great in himself but simply had a zeal for your name and you accomplished great and wonderful things that has led to stories for thousands of years now. And many have tried to turn it into just a story of, of what we try to do in the flesh and how we can be underdogs. But no, Lord, there is no underdog in this story. There is only King Jesus. The one who has won the victory, who has defeated death. So, Lord... Give us this courage by your spirit to not be complacent, but to engage. And Lord, sometimes this engagement happens in the middle of mundane things. David was in the midst of being an errand boy when a giant appeared before him. Lord, we may just be in the midst of just everyday life, Help us to be ready when the day comes to do our battle for the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's turn now to Psalm 46.